You're listening to the Della Darling Podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Dara. We're taking Dara's love of telling people's stories, Emily's love of attending events, and our mutual love of the first date, and highlighting the best people to meet, places to go, and things to do that Delaware has to offer. Hello everyone! I'm so excited today because I'm here in the Della Darling headquarters joined by Dara, of course, and our intern Nutmeg, and we're going to have a really good guest on for you guys in just a little bit. Yeah, um, so we have Laura Wilburn coming on and she's the executive director of the Urban Bike Project, and um, Emily, you've met her before. I haven't, um, but I was excited reading up on her because um, she mentioned some things about growing up in Delaware and how um, her parents kind of fostered um, this love for community initiatives by doing things around here. And that kind of reminded me of my own experiences growing up in Delaware um, that we were recently talking about how we got interested in the podcast and interested in Delaware. And I think that um, a lot of my feelings about Delaware are shaped because um, like I had family members who took me to things, who made me volunteer. Um, so I'm excited to talk more with her about um, what impacted her when she was a kid in Delaware. Yeah, I think it's really great um, that she obviously was exposed to the community from such a young age and really was involved in the community, but that she's really become a mover and shaker and has really um, pioneered a lot of the biking in Delaware efforts that have really mm-hmm. made a change in um, the state, but really specifically in Wilmington. Yeah. So speaking of moving and shaking, what have you been up to lately? I think you had, um, I know you had at least one thing you were excited to talk to me about. So many things to talk to you about actually. So, um, people probably saw on the Instagram last week, I had a night out in Wilmington on a weeknight, which was kind of fun. Not I something was jealous. I, yeah. Not something I normally do. I did actually get a lot of text messages about it from people who were seeing our Instagram posting <laughs> and wanted, wanted to tell me what their thoughts were, uh, but that was great. So like what to order or where to go next? Just what I was up to and whether I got their favorite item <laughs> at the restaurant so I actually had gone out for a wine flight at Domain Hudson, which is one of my favorite um, restaurants and places to go, but I especially love going there. They have a great wine selection, and they can really help you to pair your wine with your food if that's something you're interested in, helping you to learn more about the wines you're drinking. And they have these preset wine flights that are a pretty reasonable price for the quality of wine you're getting. So I love going there for wine flights. Um, and then my friend and I that I was out with, he had never heard of more brothers before and he's more into wine than I am, I would say. So we actually took a swing by there. I did a little wine tasting and he bought a few bottles and then we went over to dinner at Mrs. Rubino's because same thing. He had never been there before. And after Guy Fieri's visit last week, he was so excited to try it out. Yeah, we mentioned Guy Fieri in our last episode, and then even after that, it was like the Guy Fieri news kept coming. It seemed like almost the entire state maybe got excited doing Guy Fieri watch. Um, but then he wasn't the only like celebrity news that we had recently. That's true. We have had some other really exciting both celebrity general news and food news. You were just talking about um, like going out to dinner in Wilmington and that we have, um, Delaware has two restaurants that are related to the James Beard um, semifinalists. Um, and James Beard is kind of like the Oscars of the food world. 
and um, we have Wilmington Bardea's food and drink up in the best new restaurant category and then um, we also have a heirloom down at Lewis um, the chef there is um, up for an award as well yeah, so that's a really exciting thing. And then um, one other sort of more uh, mainstream pop culture thing that has come up is that we've discussed before 76ers Fieldhouse opening and how exciting that is both for the Delaware Bluecoats and for sort of some events that were going to happen, like the OAR concert last month in February. But Cardi B will actually be appearing in late April. And this was this is exciting news. But then when we were talking about it, like, off the podcast, you were very emphatic that we should discuss that she's appearing. Right. I like to be very clear when it comes to things like this because sometimes I get over enthusiastic and then my hopes are dashed. So just to be clear, um, it, it, it never stated she was performing and it sort of seemed from the various news articles that it's leaning towards she will make an appearance and maybe say a few words. Um, and maybe do even like a meet and greet or photos, but do not expect it's for not Cardi, a Cardi B. B concert. It's not a Cardi B concert. If she were to perform, I wouldn't anticipate it would be a full set <laughs> or anything like that. But in a way, this almost makes me feel more touched because it's like she's gracing us with her presence. Like she's not just here like as a stop on her tour. And there is a local connection for her. Yes. So um, her publicist... Patience Foster is actually from Delaware and has a brand management and public relations firm, The Cream Agency. So it's really nice when people from Delaware who have, you know, maybe they aren't the famous face, but when they have those famous connections, they, they bring them back into Wilmington or into the Delaware area in general just to, just to participate in our community. Mm -hmm. And then um, there was some big Delaware news related to the Oscars, which we didn't discuss on our last ep, um, that was right after the Academy Awards. Um, and I, I think I'd heard about this before, I'm not sure. Um, this is not about the, um, this, is, this is not about A Star Is Born, which the, the, this, one of the screenwriters was related, is from Delaware. Right, and a lot of people have a lot of thoughts on A Star Is Born. Are, do, a are lot you of one thoughts. of them? I have a lot of thoughts. My thoughts are, I'm not offended Bradley Cooper was not nominated for Best Director. I feel fine about that. Um, I do love the song Shallow, but also it's on the radio too much. I haven't really been, I haven't heard it on the radio, so I'm not over it yet. I listen I to, wasn't really I do listen to our local Delaware pop station, WSTW, and so I know that they are playing what the people want. <laughs> I, I just, I guess, don't fall into the category of the people when it comes to that song. I love it, and don't get me wrong, I have it on a playlist or two, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm reaching the end of my A Star Is Born mentality. And, and controversial opinion coming at you, mm -hmm. I firmly believe Bohemian Rhapsody was a superior film to... A Star is Born. And I know that you're still excited about Queen because you're you're planning on promoting our guest for this episode with Queen's Bicycle. Yes, I'm thrilled that I get to use this their song in all of our promo stuff. It's very exciting. And for those who don't know, um, Roger Taylor and Brian May, who are the drummer and um, lead guitarist of Queen and were for years and years, they were the original Queen. Um, they actually still tour as Queen and Adam Lambert, who I believe was an American Idol um, contestant and or winner. I don't really know because I'm not an American Idol person. Um, he actually tours with them as their lead singer since obviously Freddie Mercury can't do that. Um, and so they're actually coming to Philadelphia in August. But that leads me to some other American Idol news. 
But also, well, also the Academy Award news for this week. Yes, give us that. <laughs> come out, come at us with that. I was ready. You to, were so excited to try. I had the transition all ready to go. I'm sorry, um, but I didn't know that this was happening. Um, but Netflix um, during the Academy Awards um, commercial breaks, they they teased um, the upcoming film, The Irishman, which is um, based on a book by a Delaware author. Um, I heard you paint houses. So that's exciting. We definitely love any kind of um, Delaware connection to sort of mainstream media. Um, and that includes, you know, Netflix productions. But also it gives you another another book to put on the Delaware Reads list. And um, we'll, I'll actually tease this. We're hoping maybe in the month of June to do a Delaware Reads series. So perhaps both of our June episodes, this is our intention at this point, is to do a book club. So we'll let you guys know the book by the beginning of May. We'll probably set a halfway point um, for reading. And then we're hoping to get a couple, one or two local librarians on. So we'll actually have a little book club discussion. And then our second episode, maybe we'll get the author or somebody related to the publishing of the book to come on and chat with us. Mm -hmm. So we'll let you guys know about that because we're all about Della reading, summer reading. Um, and with that, I think we've covered a few things. So, so we'll, we'll awkwardly go into my American Idol segue. <laughs> so, Dee, what can you tell me about other American Idol news? Other American Idol news. Um, so we have um, two stories out recently about um, talented young Delaware performers. And one is that there's a Tower Hill School graduate, um, Marjorie Sander Saunders, um, who is a contestant on... What is what is now the new American Idol? Because the new now it's ABC. Right, it's the new American Idol in its final season. But I thought that already happened. So the next final season, I guess. Um, and actually, I believe she was featured on Sunday night's episode for her audition, like her first round audition. And I think we've covered this before, but your mother does not watch American Idol. No, she's very, very serious about watching The Voice, but not American Idol. So we might, we might have to tune in so that we can follow Marjorie's journey. Mm -hmm. And then also in the realm of singing news, local performing news, um, there's a CAD graduate who is... Um, now portraying Maureen in the national tour of Rent, um, which is kind of now making its way through Philly. Right. So this is exciting. And, you know, we always talk about um, experiences we've had. So sort of in the same um, series, I would say, we've gone up, we went up last June, I believe, to see Aladdin. So in that same idea of Broadway shows that are nationally touring coming through Philly, um, we had the chance to go see Aladdin. There are always other shows to go see. I saw Waitress last year. And then, of course, we always have shows coming to Delaware um, at the Playhouse put on by the Grand. So that's sort of a collaboration there. So we definitely encourage you guys to check out what's coming to Wilmington um, and then also what's coming to Philly if that is something you're interested in. Yes, and we will link out to all those stories about um, our very talented Delawareans. Um, Lindy Moe is the cab grad that's in Rent. Um, and then Marjorie's the one on American Idol. Um, so you can follow all of the, the amazing talent that's coming out of Delaware. Um, but talking about something that's happening in Delaware, um, you created something recently, Emily. I did. So I'm actually really excited to share this with you guys. Um, I sort of have two podcast updates, and they're not about the Della Darling podcast. So that's pretty exciting. One is that... Many of you probably have not heard of this, but I think you'll be excited because if you're an avid 
Della Darling listener, I imagine you listen to other podcasts. So there is an organization out there called Podcast Brunch Club, and the tagline is like a book club, but for podcasts. And so if you're interested, it. It, it's great. So if you're someone who's interested in listening to podcasts and sort of expanding the shows you listen to, the genres, and then talking to people about it, which I am, we actually have started a local chapter of the Podcast Brunch Club. And they have hundreds of chapters, not only across the U.S., but across the world. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of fun. Every month, Adela, who is our founder, and a number of other organizers from the various chapters put together a playlist. And so it's typically between two to five episodes that can either be from a single podcast where you're doing a deep dive or they can be various podcasts within the same genre or, or theme. So um, if you are interested in participating in our local chapter of Podcast Brunch Club, you can actually sign up for our email list where you'll get all of the information and you'll basically get put in contact with me because I'm our chapter mm -hmm. organizer. If you go to podcastbrunchclub.com slash Wilmington, and we're probably looking at alternating locations for our brunch spot. And it can be a weeknight where we do things like happy hour or um, brunch was sort of, it's a, it's a cute name, but it can really be at any time that works for the group. So we'll probably also have time where that occurs in Newark um, or just in the greater Newcastle County area. So like I said, if you're interested, podcastbrunchclub.com slash Wilmington, and that'll get you put in contact with me. And of course, you can always, you know, DM, email, whatever you need to do um, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, everything, and you'll reach me or Dara, and we'll be able to put you in contact with the right people. And then other podcast news, and this is really just a joke that I wrote that I, <laughs> that I really, it was a bit that I really wanted to carry through. So I actually was listening to a new podcast at work yesterday and today called One Plus One. And there are a couple of things. It's done by, I don't want to get this wrong, but it's one of the major uh, podcast networks. So I think you're going to be interested in that. It's very well produced, but it comes out on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So it's a twice a week podcast, which is exciting for those of us who listen to a lot of podcast episodes, but it chronicles the world's most famous duos. And um, this it just started, it's only a few weeks old, and so they have, I believe, all six episodes out. And those first six episodes are all focused on John Lennon and Paul McCartney and their experiences as a songwriting duo and um, their experiences as a songwriting duo, friends um, really being the leaders and, and sort of being in competition, vying for the leadership role of the Beatles and really making the Beatles, you know, the most iconic rock band in history mm -hmm. and you can at me about that but I would say they're the most iconic rock band in history yeah so it's from Wondery which yes. promotes themselves as the company behind the hit podcast Business Wars and um, they also did Dirty John Over My Dead Body and Dr. Death for those of you who are into sort of those deep dive true crime podcasts so mm -hmm. um, it's a great podcast for that but I just was thinking that one day they'll probably chronicle the most famous Delaware podcasting <laughs> duo Dara and Emily of course, we'll be right after Jay-Z and Beyonce, or uh, the Google team, or Lennon and Trotsky, or Shaq and Kobe, which are all mentioned. I mean, I think we need to be done before Shaq and Kobe. Come on now. <laughs> let's, let's put some realistic, realistic duos on the table here. Only if it's done in something that has to do with height. The shortest people go first. 
we are both on the shorter side. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. Um, so with that, I think we're going to lead into our guest. We are so excited to be welcoming Laura Wilburn, who is the executive director of Urban Bike Project. So we're going to chat a little bit about her experiences growing up and biking in Delaware, how she landed here as an adult after leaving for college and a couple of jobs, how she became so passionate about biking and helping others to become passionate about biking. And we're going to do a little, a little myth busting. Um, we have heard a few rumors out on the streets about Laura and we don't know how true they are. So we want to clear those up for you guys and, and see what we can find out. So Dara and I already told you guys a little bit about Laura, but we're so excited that she's here in the studio to join us and chat a little bit about being a Delawarean and biking in Delaware. Emily introduced um, Laura to me, um, and I know a little bit about the Urban Bike Project, but I had to look up some of your history um, in preparation for this. Um, so you've been the UBP has been around for over ten years at this point, mm -hmm. and it's all about providing access and encouraging bicycling as a healthy, affordable, and practical means of transportation and recreation. Yeah. Straight Correct. from the website. Yeah. Um, so tell <laughs> us good. a little bit. You're a native Delawarean. Yeah, well, Close technically enough. lived the first six months of my life in New Jersey, but wow. It happens to the best of us. One of, you know, we, we joke about the dirty secrets of the podcast, um, and one of them is that I actually lived in Mississippi until I was five. Oh, wow. But I think we're about being Delaware enthusiasts. Right, right. Yeah. So anyone, I mean, we even had a great episode with Susan Sauter just a uh, two episodes ago where she moved here less than a year ago and it's probably one of the most enthusiastic enthusiasts mm -hmm. we've met. Yeah. So I, I think that you certainly qualify as being enthusiastic. Yeah, I, Delaware. I consider myself a native Delawarean and mm -hmm. a Delaware enthusiast. And I definitely can say, you know, I grew up in Delaware and uh, spent like no time in Wilmington because um, I grew up in the suburbs and just people didn't go to Wilmington. Um, and then I moved away for a while and I came back and now that I live in Wilmington, it's like rediscovering a whole new place and it's awesome. I don't know how I missed that growing up. We love that sentiment. It's definitely something we share because we were in the same boat, living more in the suburbs and not spending a lot of time downtown. And obviously I live here now, I work here. Um, and I, we say the same thing, like we sort of rediscover where we live as a tourist and getting to really fully experience it. Um, so that's always really fun. So I guess my first sort of question for you is what's your background? Like how did you get into biking specifically? And then how did you end up at Urban Bike Project? Well, I've been biking my whole life. It's like a familial trait. Everyone in my family bikes to some degree or another. Um, if you ever see somebody bicycling down Bannon Boulevard with like 20, tail lights and headlights all blinking at once. That is my mother. Okay. Um, she bikes from the music school, actually. She's in the Delaware Women's Chorus. That's awesome. So you'll see her. Um, but I, so I've been biking my whole life, um, you know, just kind of recreational stuff when I was really little with my family. Um, and got really more into biking. Actually, my sister, my older sister when she was nine, um, developed this thing where her knees would dislocate. My goodness. And um, the doctor was like, well, she needs to, she should bicycle up hills to strengthen the muscles that keep the knees in place. It was like a thing that showed up when she so started going through grocery. more than just a general health and wellness and a real rehab. Yeah, it was activity. like an actually like prescribed thing for her. So, um, and my mom was, worked part time and spent time home with us and, you know, 
we didn't have hills in my neighborhood and she thought Maria was too young to go outside the neighborhood alone and I was too young to stay home alone so I got dragged along on these bike rides and I maybe didn't love it at first because I was on like this tiny little bike and I couldn't keep up and I'm really competitive so I hated it um but you know after not that long I started really like getting into it and then as a family we started doing you know overnight we did a bike ride down to the beach and spent the night and back and um so that by the time I was in high school I was like pretty committed to bike riding as a lifestyle and was very idealistic environmentalist and was like I'm not gonna own a car because I'm not gonna ever fossil fuels ever your intention is to never correct own a car, yeah yeah right? I, I made this commitment and so far I've been successful at not okay now you car. do ride in cars when the occasion calls for it yes and I have a driver's license okay so I I can rent cars when I want to go on vacation or when I need to drive a vehicle for work purposes so right. transporting bicycles from one place to another. but it's both more economically and environmentally friendly to yeah. do it that way mm -hmm. I'm sure yeah so um you know didn't own a car and just have spent my whole life riding bikes um so that's, that's how I got into bike riding. As far as getting into Urban Bike Project, um, you know, I went to, to college at University of Maryland, got my degree in environmental policy, and worked for the Environmental Protection Agency for a year doing, um, like, with a division that does cost-benefit analyses and regulatory impact analyses. I'm sure Very exciting you're familiar things. with those terms. <laughs> the, out, the results are very exciting and interesting, but the day-to-day -day work, I would think, can be... Somewhat monotonous yeah, very and tedious. tedious. Yeah, and, and lots of like just sitting and staring at a screen. And then, um, you know, I think I was frustrated by the fact that you can do all this great research and you can have a great answer to a problem. And then like everyone starts arguing about it on like the congressional floor and nothing happens, you know. Um, and so I think I was kind of frustrated by this idea of just spending my whole time behind a computer doing work that maybe was going to matter and maybe wasn't. Um, and so I didn't want to keep doing that, so I went to Montana and was an AmeriCorps VISTA volunteer for a nonprofit, where I had the chance to learn how nonprofits work and run a youth program and um, just, you know, it was so much more gratifying doing the direct service. So when that was over, you know, it's like a one-year term of service and then, um, they hired me temporarily to finish some things up. So I was out there for a couple years. And then, you know, that was it. So I came back to Delaware because I didn't really know what I was going to do. But um, I came back, and while I was applying for jobs, I emailed Urban Bike Project, which I knew existed. And I said, you know, I'm a bicycle mechanic, and I have experience with nonprofits, and I want to volunteer for you guys. Um, so. And it snowballed from there. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. How long were you volunteering with them before it turned into a job? Um, only like three months. Okay. So, and then they hired me part-time to be like a youth programs mm -hmm. coordinator. Um, and then they, the executive director, as it turns out, had been looking for a way out for a while. Like she was right, burnt right. out and like hanging by a thread. So, but she, it was really like a, a, love project for her you know you like she was one of the right founders person. yeah so she was doing it because she wasn't willing to like let it fall apart um but she was really ready to be done so i think pretty quickly when i came on the scene and was like a really enthusiastic sucker and 
she could tell. Like, <laughs> well, and, like, and you had a lot of that nonprofit background that yeah. so many small nonprofits desperately, desperately need someone who has some experience. Um, right. And and I had the advantage, the nonprofit I worked for out in Montana, they were a really interesting nonprofit. The mission for them was to develop citizen leaders. Um, and so my job running the youth program was developing young citizen leaders. So it was a youth leadership program and um, the teens involved brainstormed their own service projects and I helped them implement those service so projects. So very applicable. Yeah, and, um, but the nonprofit, their broader goal, they worked with a lot of tribal communities out there, they worked with a lot of individuals who had a good idea but didn't know how to get started and they did like trainings in how to use QuickBooks, trainings in how to get 501c3 status, trainings in how to you know, make sure that you're um, keeping your finances like legally kept, you know, right, and right. not well, making those kinds of mistakes that people can. So I really had this advantage of working for this nonprofit whose entire job was teaching nonprofits how to do things the right way. Do you think that when you came back to Delaware and then started working with Urban Bike Project that um, the work was more meaningful or, or that it took on like a, a different um, flavor or impact because you were, you had been local, that this was your area? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's definitely, like I said, spending time in Wilmington itself wasn't something I did a lot of, but um, for those of you who grew up in Wilmington and went to public schools and you know about the crazy feeder patterns, um, like I was bused to Shortledge Elementary School and now I live literally like half a block from Shortledge Elementary School and it's cool because I do work with all of the kids that, you know, went through the same school system that I went through and... Um, you know, getting to know it more and, and definitely having that, like being rooted here for mm -hmm. sure makes it more meaningful. Um, so I think we, we kind of glazed over this as if everybody really understood what Urban Bike Project does um, because we did mention sort of the mission, but very specifically, like what kinds of programs do you offer? What kinds of services do you offer? Because I know you guys have different workshops. You have um, like women sort of women-focused groups that do workshops as well as bike rides. You guys have at least partnered, I think, um, with other groups to do, I believe, like a water-focused bike ride. Um, yeah, we did. Series. So yeah, so what are some of the, like like I said, programs and services you guys offer? Yeah, so, um, you know, I think Dara really, you know, pulled kind of that sentence from the website and it hopefully summarizes pretty well what we try to do, but it's, it's all about um, recognizing the benefits that bicycling can have for people, you know, and, and it could be fitness, it could be mental health, it could be just time with family, having fun, it can be financial savings, can be a really big thing. So a lot of the folks we work with are people who cannot afford transportation otherwise. Um, and so one of our big programs is our free bike program where we do provide bike lock lights helmet if the adult wants it Delaware law doesn't require it so we don't force anyone to take a helmet but but personal opinion i'll say mine you should wear a bike helmet yeah it's a great idea <laughs> i always wear a bike helmet um so you know we provide everything that uh, a person needs to use their bike to get to work um, and then we also stay in touch with them make sure that they have access to our shop to do repairs and maintenance if they need um and the folks who come you know, last year we gave away 97 free bikes to adults in Wilmington. 
and um, you know over 50% of them were homeless or in transitional housing when they came to us. Um, the average income is around $6,000 a year when they come to us. That's a year. So uh, the idea of owning a car is like, forget about it. You know. Yeah, I mean, we've discussed a couple of times. I recently, um, my car was totaled in an accident, which did force me to buy a new car. And I had saved a lot of money for that purpose, but I also probably have an increase between insurance and car payments of maybe $500 a month. Right. So, and they're living off of $500 a month. Yeah, for exactly. That, for that perspective. I mean, that, there's Absolutely. no, they, you're right, it's not even enough. Yeah. So, they're relying on walking and buses and um, a lot of pe people, you know, they come to us because like one young man, for example, this 19 year old who had a job at like a FedEx warehouse down in Newcastle and lived in Wilmington and was walking nine miles each way to get to work because his shift started at three in the morning. When the buses don't really run. And Not they, running at and, all, yeah. And um, I, I actually ride the bus to work when my car's in the shop, when I'm able to because I don't have, you know, commitments before or after, but my schedule can get really crazy of where I need to be and when. So I can say the bus isn't always the most consistent ride, no. and I ride it at rush hour. So at rush hour, from where we are sort of near the Brandywine, near Brandywine Park over to the train station is a pretty consistent route. Um, with a number of bus lines that run that way. So during the rush hour times when I ride the bus, it's pretty good. But I can imagine at 3 o'clock in the morning, if there's an option, it's incredibly limiting. Right. So there isn't at that time. And then, yeah, definitely like um, Saturday and Sunday buses, super unreliable. Sometimes they don't show up at all. And they're spaced out. You know, they only run once an hour. So if you miss the one, um, you're going to be an hour late to work. And, uh, you know, usually at these level of jobs... Like, you'll get fired for that. You know, you're an hour late to work more than once. Right. Pretty much you're done. So, um, you know, the, the bike can really be the difference for people between, like, being able to get that job and work their way up to a better shift that's, you know, not the, the graveyard shift and um, eventually get to the point where maybe they can't afford a car if they want one um, and that sort of thing. So that's a big part of what we do is working with low-income folks both to get them bikes and then also um, you know to get them repair services and, and education but we also work with literally anybody in the entire area who wants to come we have used bikes for sale um, like bikes for little kids start around five dollars bikes for adults start around forty dollars um, so super affordable options and for our listeners I know this answer but where do you guys get the bikes they're all donated. So if anybody has bikes they've outgrown, you know, obviously with kids, they grow at such a pace that it's almost like every couple of years you feel like you're buying a new bike. You can donate them to Urban Bike Project. For adults like my father who own four and a half plus bikes at any given moment between his road bike, his recumbent, his electric bike, his mountain bike, <laughs> and all of the pieces... Um, all for working and he re not recently but a few years ago decided that he's you know he's, he's in his 50s now and he's probably not road biking anymore so I believe he's donated it somewhere at some point but that's always an option as you're sort of realizing you don't have a need for those items right and the the you know the donated bikes they maybe are given away for free or if they are sold you know 100% of the proceeds from their sales are then used to support our operating expenses so um, you know, it's a great option for people who are interested in getting started riding a bike, but maybe they don't know they're going to love it. They don't want to spend the $600 you have to spend 
at a, a retail bike shop. So we have um, that available. We have a do-it-yourself um, like repair bike shop. Pretty much, you come, you can rent our tools for three dollars an hour, and we have volunteers who help you do it. Like you can literally know nothing at all about fixing a bike. You could not even know that you turn left to loosen and right to tighten. And we will teach you all of that. My tires are totally flat, and I'm pretty sure I just need to put air in them. But if not, I'll probably be coming in. Yeah, and you know, we have people who come in who are like, I don't know how to use an air pump. And that's great. Like, we will show people how to use an air pump. And we have air pumps you can buy that if you want. Um, used ones and new ones, depending on whether you want a really nice cheap one or you want a really nice new one. Or um, So, you know, we have the, the do-it-yourself bike shop. And then we have a whole uh, suite of kids' programs. We have a Wednesday night youth shop that's free for any kid 8 to 17. They can come, they can fix their bike, um, they can volunteer to earn shop credit, which they can save up and use on whatever they want. Um, they can also take a mechanics class, and there's six classes. When they take all six, they get a bike for free that comes with like a helmet and a lock and a patch kit. Um, so, and then we do rides with the kids on the weekends when the weather's nice. Um, we have summer camps for kids. We do programs in schools where we go in and teach the mechanics and, um, kids, you know, each get a bike to refurbish and they fix it up and get to keep it at the end. Um, so we do all of that. And then I know, Emily, you had mentioned some of the organized bike rides that we've done too. We partner with all kinds of different groups. Um, you mentioned the women specific that's there's a, a Facebook group women bike Wilmington that's a pretty informal group a couple of really cool women in the city organized it and we're like we just think it'd be fun to hang out with cool people and go riding and um, the urban bike project partners with them and um, offers mechanic like women's only mechanics workshops through that and um, we did partner with uh, the Clean Water Alliance to do a bicycle tour of different water resources in the city. And, um, you know, of course, bicycling, our mission touches on a lot of things, but environmental friendliness is one of them and sustainability. So um, it was just a cool way to get out and see some of the spots, you know, be able to make it up the Brandywine uh, on some of the trails that you can't access through, you know, in a car. and. Um, cover more ground than we could by, you know, with a foot tour. Yeah, and we're so fortunate that the Delaware Greenway Trail, which I believe even extends past Delaware, um, but I could be wrong about that. They're working on making it extend past Delaware. It will, it yeah. will happen. Um, <laughs> but it now connects all the way down to Delaware City because we have our, uh, to the Mike Castle Trail because we have our bridge going up. Yeah, the Nature Center, right? Am I getting that? Yeah, right? yeah. I, so I actually haven't been down there yet. There's a small amount of road riding you have to do to connect um, all the way down to Dollar City. So right now, from Bellevue State Park, uh, like up near Claymont and Belfont, um, you can ride all the way into the city. Then you're going to have to do roads to get through downtown to the riverfront. But once you hit the riverfront, you can take a trail all the way to Old Newcastle. And then... Um, you know, maybe a five-mile stretch on Route 9 to get to Delaware City right now. That's uh, It's a wide shoulder, but, um, you it's know. It's road riding. It is road riding, yeah. And then once you hit Delaware City, you can catch the Mike Castle Trail and make it all the way to Chesapeake City, Maryland. Um, so I knew that Urban Bike Project was involved with um, different programming and, and helping people um, with access um, bikes and, and help to maintain them. But I was reading up on, on you and the project, and what I hadn't really thought about was how um, 
bikes and bike riding fits into like Delaware as a whole and transportation as a whole in the state. So I was wondering if you could talk a bit about that. Cause I think like for me, um, like I don't, I don't come from as, as heavy as, as a bike background and some of our listeners, like they might just, you know, they might be, um, riding in a car a lot of the time or, or walking or using other public transportation. Um, but it sounds like bikers, cyclists, they do, they have a benefit on the state as a whole. Does it, do you follow this? Yeah, so what I'm, just to wrap it up with a couple of like the buzzwords, sort of your role within advocacy and policy and the transformation of the availability and accessibility of biking from from that standpoint, does that make sense? Yeah, but then I guess I, guess I was also, um, like could you talk about what, biking does for transportation as a whole like I was reading that you know when you have someone who chooses to take a bike to work instead of a car that's one less car on the road correct yeah yeah I mean, obviously that's, that's math. math yeah yeah so um yeah definitely I, I think um sometimes there can be some tension between different road users right you know everybody's impatient and wanting to get where they are trying to go and you know, in the city, there's a ton of different road users. There's delivery trucks, and there's buses, and there's bikers, and there's pedestrians, and there's cars and motorcycles, and you name it. Um, but I, I do think it's important to remember that, you know, roads have always been for different road users. And, you know, they've always been that public space that's available to everybody just to get where they need to go. And the great thing about riding bikes, like you say, every bike that's on the road is one less bike or one less car on the road, right? And um, so, and that comes down to parking as well. In cities where things are very dense, uh, it's always an ongoing problem to have enough parking. And you end up, um, there's some organizations out there that do really interesting things like uh, create maps where they color code every single parcel in the city that's dedicated to parking. And it's always a really shocking thing to see because oftentimes you look at the map and visually you're like, well, that's like a third of our land area is just being used for parking. And so that's less that can be used for housing, so that drives up housing costs. That's less that can be used for fun restaurants and exciting, you know, destinations downtown that make your downtown a really vibrant place that people want to be in. So it's also a really high increase in impervious coverage, which means we're creating just from yeah, I'm sure. my background, <laughs> um, just from an environmental perspective, we're creating more runoff that has more like chemical exhaust, et cetera, just sort of um, toxic materials in it that are going into our storm systems and into our rivers. So the more we can sort of like have green space that's infiltrating and not parking spaces, it's better for the environment as well. Right. Yeah. And of course, bikes take up so much less space than cars is the big thing, you know? And, um, so it's really, it's not to say that no one should be driving cars. Of course, cars are great and they serve a lot of really important purposes, but it's just to say that, you know, if we can have people who are interested in biking, if we can make it comfortable for them to do so, that's going to be great for everybody because it's one fewer person that the car drivers have to fight with over a parking spot. It's, you know, it, it's been demonstrated within the country and internationally that when you increase mode share, which is a term that refers to like the percentage of people who are using different modes of transportation, when you increase the mode share of alternate means, you know, that being walking, biking, um, transit, 
you know, your uh, traffic problems go way down. So all of the gridlock that occurs on I-95, you know, if we could even get 5% of people riding bikes to work instead of driving on any given day, um, it's kind of the difference between the road having the capacity for the number of cars on it and the road not having the capacity for the number of cars on it. So um, it's definitely an important thing, I think, to, to consider when we're talking about how can we make Delaware really, really great place to live. Um, and people sometimes take transportation for granted, but transportation is so important. It's how we access resources, how resources access us. It's how we move through our space and therefore experience our space. You know, one of the things I really like about getting people out on bikes in Wilmington is that they suddenly realize how beautiful of a city it is because they've got that time to look around them and really connect with some of the smaller details of the built environment and the natural environment and um, experience their space in a very different way than when you're just like zooming through um, you know on Walnut Street trying to get up Governor Prince or something as quickly as you can. Um, so I definitely think that there's a holistic role that bicycling can play in increasing the well-being of everybody, whether or not you are going to ever be a bicyclist or ride a bike, you know, people on bikes can kind of help increase the overall well-being of an area. Um, and so to that end, I know, Emily, you had mentioned like advocacy and that sort of thing. Um, Urban Bike Project is not an advocacy organization. So um, we don't get out there and say, you know, there should be bike lanes on this street or go down to Dover and say, you know, you should put more money, you should make Dell Dot spend more money on bike infrastructure or anything like that. Um, there's a lot of really great people who are doing that work in the state. Um, bike Delaware is the statewide agency that, um, or nonprofit that's very involved in that. There's White Clay Bike Club, there's Delaware Greenways, there's Bike Wilmington. So there's a lot of arms that are pushing for um, advocacy and Urban Bike Project is very much, you know, on the ground helping, meeting people where they're at right now um, with, with their interest in bicycling. But we certainly um, stay involved and um, like to spread the word, you know, if there's a public workshop going on or something like that. Um, we like to let our followers know, hey, if you're interested in participating, this is an option for you. Um, and I, I'll sit in on Bike Wilmington meetings and that kind of thing. And oftentimes, I'm just there to make sure that the conversation isn't forgetting certain groups of people. You know, we talked before about how Urban Bike Project works with a lot of low-income individuals. And uh, oftentimes, there's this idea that, like, people aren't currently biking. Um, and when people think about making a bike-friendly place, I think they think of, like, hipsters being bike messengers and like, you know, more of that sort of cyclist. And um, the fact is we work with over a thousand adults every year and, um, you know, about three quarters of them are low to moderate income. And in the city. And for perspective, the city of Wilmington has under a hundred thousand residents. Yeah, it's like 73,000. It's about 73,000. So to be working with a thousand adults in a city city limits and I'm sure some of them are not within city of limits that you're serving um but that's I mean that's a pretty large percentage of our population that you guys are working with yeah and most of those people are using their bikes in some form for transportation at least some of the time and, and a lot of them are using it all of the time and I think we just kind of forget to include them as people who are road users who deserve to get where they need to go safely 
and efficiently. So oftentimes, you know, I just go to the table to make sure that, um, you know, when conversations are being had, they're not forgetting about those groups and I'll offer to say, hey, you know, if there's a survey, they're always doing surveys, Delta and WOMAPCO and all these groups are surveys as they do, which is, you know, great. They have to do their public outreach in order to formulate their life plans. Yes, please participate in the surveys. I'll say this from um, sort of that, the other side, the governmental and uh, private consultants who are working on these projects. Please fill out the surveys before we come up with recommendations for the projects. They really are based off of what the community needs. And then it actually helps to have better options proposed rather than having to go back to the drawing board when people complain later. Right. And so, you know, one thing I'll offer to do is say, hey, give me a stack of surveys. I'll take them to the shop. I'll see if I can get some of the guys to fill them out, you know, because I think that that's a voice that's often not being reached. Um, so, you know, and, and it's great to, we want to make sure that we include everybody. So, um, that's kind of the role Urban Bike Project plays in the advocacy realm is just wanting to do the best we can to make sure that all of the necessary voices are being represented and that kind of thing, but not pushing for any one specific solution. As a, as a nonprofit, what are some of like your greatest um, needs and challenges right now? Uh, well, I think it's kind of the same as any nonprofit. It's like, we need money, we need volunteers. <laughs> you know, this is kind of the, the big things. Donations of bikes. We're always looking for donations of bikes. Um, but the biggest thing going on for us right now is we're actually in the middle of renovating our shop. Um, so we're kind of in the tail end of the fundraising effort for that and um, have started construction on fixing it up. It's a really cool old building. It was, uh, it's owned by the city of Wilmington. We've got a lease, a 30 year lease for a dollar a year. And um, it's from 1907. It used to be the mounted police stables. And before that, it belonged to the Department of Public Works and they had a lot of repair equipment there. It's right across the street from the pumping station. That's part of the municipal water system. Um, And they had also horse-drawn repair vehicles there. So still serving the same purpose 100 years later. Yeah, it's still transportation. We're still serving green <laughs> transportation efforts. Right. That's um, great. So it's, but it, it's a great building, but it is old, and there's uh, been a lot of issues with it. You know, the roof springs a new leak every time it rains. And um, when we moved in, the windows were already all boarded up on the street-facing facade. So... You know, we get a lot of people being like, well, I tried to find you, but I couldn't tell if you were even open or not. And, you know, uh, because the building looks kind of run down, um, you know, it kind of invites some amount of nuisance crime and that sort of thing. So we really wanted to fix it up and make it this great asset for the neighborhood. Um, We're right in the Upper East Side neighborhood at 15th and Walnut Streets. Um, so we're working on that, and we're really excited about that. But of course, that's been a challenge and a brand new frontier for our, the organization. We've never done anything nearly that big. You know, we we have a fundraising goal of five hundred thousand, and we're at about eighty five percent of that, and that's a huge deal for us. It's a huge effort because you guys, I know, are a very small nonprofit. Do you? I know you have other part time employees. Are you the only full time employee? Actually, um, in two thousand eighteen, our part-time shop manager became a full-time program manager. So we are growing bit by bit. So we now have two full-time employees and a lot of volunteers. 
So a $500,000 fundraising goal for uh, basically capital improvements is huge. I just know from the size of your organization and probably where your operating budgets lie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is an amazing undertaking. Our operating budget is about $100,000 every year. So this is huge, but it's going to mean that we have, you know, a stable base of operations for 30 years. And that's going to be a really big deal for us and a really big deal for the neighborhood, you know, and, and this building will be a beautiful space now too that the neighborhood can utilize for events and meetings and whatever sorts of things as opposed to right now where I think um, a lot of our neighborhood neighbors get frustrated sometimes that's like you know oh, there were kids back there that you know and we think they were causing trouble and you know the built environment we need more lighting we need more you know right just basic things to encourage positive uses of the area mm-hmm. so. Uh, We've talked a lot about Wilmington, and um, rightly so because of where you're located, Um, but I know that earlier in our talk you mentioned like biking down to the beach with your family, and then um, I think you threw in White Clay Creek State Park, so I was wondering if you could talk a little just about some of your favorite places, um, either to just be or to bike in Delaware as a whole. Sure, yeah. Uh, White Clay Creek is a great one, as well as Brandywine Creek State Park. Both of those parks have amazing um mountain biking it's actually like uh some of the best mountain biking in the east coast and and people don't always realize that but it's um just i don't know how many miles but it's it's like maybe a hundred miles or something of trails trails and many options of lengths of trails because sometimes people only want to go out and do three or four miles and sometimes they want to go out and do something longer so they both have a variety so some options and there's and both of those parks have everything from you know paved or crushed gravel wide sort of multi-use paths to super technical uh like rock garden mountain biking um you know i still can't do some stretches of Brandywine Creek State Park and I've been trying for years to be able to do them so it's it's an exciting place to go out and just play in the woods um and I like doing that a lot and getting a break from sometimes the built environment as much as I love the built environment it's nice to get out into nature um there's also a ton of really beautiful roads like roads I grew up riding around just the the back roads of Hokesson and um, some of those areas that uh, are great to ride on and um, you know you have to be pretty comfortable with road riding to do it because you're sharing the road with cars and a lot of people will say like oh, I can't believe you ride those like those roads back there and that's uh, very dangerous but actually statistically it's much safer because the most dangerous place for a bike is an intersection and those roads have very few intersections so, um, they're, and they're so quiet. It's so low traffic volume. Um, so it's really just like a very peaceful experience generally riding back there. Okay. I'm going to sort of transition a little more to the personal side. So, um, I told you before we started recording, um, and actually our listeners, we haven't, we haven't mentioned this yet. So we actually all went to high school together. Laura, graduated with my brother and Dara's sister. Um, Claire, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So we didn't necessarily know Laura very well, but Laura and my brother have maintained a friendship now for many years. We went to middle school together too. I did not really do it to Stanton. Okay, so Laura really, yeah, (laughs) long time history. 
Um, so with that, he's given me sort of some rumors, and I don't know how true they are. So we're going to, as you put it, we're myth-busting on this episode. <laughs> so I'm excited to ask. Um, I have interacted with your wife, Leah, in some professional settings. Um, but from what I understand, you met because she joined the board at Urban Bike Project? Yeah, well, we were both volunteers, and then um, she joined the board of directors around the same time that I um, came on as an employee. And um, we were both involved otherwise romantically at the time, so it didn't immediately become a thing. But, but it all worked out. It all worked out, yeah. You know, this is this is a Lifetime or Hallmark Channel movie where, <laughs> you know, you both, you're, you both realize through your work with the youth, in the community, and lots of meet-cutes and misunderstandings um, that you're not with the correct partners and, and then what you realize each called? other. I, I don't I don't have a name for it. <laughs> but probably, like, I don't know, Bicycle My Heart. Or something. Yeah, those lines. I don't know. Maybe like cycles. There's something there. With cycles, cycles. Cy- like cycles you know, of like, seasons or cycles yeah. of life. Yeah, right. yeah. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. Nutmeg, put it on the list. Nutmeg's taking notes as her job as intern. Um, yeah, she's very enthusiastic about this episode. Actually, she's very interested. So, so myth myth one has not been busted. Myth one is true. You guys did meet through Urban Bike Project, we so did. that's probably a pretty special part of your relationship. Um, and then another rumor we're gonna we're gonna bust, and I there's sort of two levels of busting here. So rumor has it that you agreed before you got married that you would never own a car, that it's like a fundamental value of your relationship, and and. I've heard this as part of the rumor, but I really believe that this is only like a story told when most of the room has has partaken in alcohol, um, that it was part of your vows. It was not part of your vows. <laughs> okay, so that has been busted. <laughs> um, but, uh, and I don't know that it was ever explicitly agreed upon. It's just that Leah knew like when she decided to get into a relationship with me, that that meant not having a car because she just, she just knew. Okay. Like I was like stubbornly committed to this idea right. of proving that it can be done. It can be done. <laughs> so did, did Leah have a car? Like, did she have to give that up or she was already living a car free lifestyle? Well, she did have a car, but it was made a little easier on her by the fact that her ex got the car. Ah, wow. Well, so, so, she, so she didn't really have a car. So she did not anymore have a car, correct? Yeah. So she just kind of ruined that. Well, that, you know, at least the car went to someone who will use it. Um, we'll look at it that way. Yeah, and, instead and of just it, taking up a parking spot. Again, there were misunderstandings, but in the end, it all it all fell together. So, do you have any more rumors? Um, I this is not a rumor. This is just sort of a funny thing that happened a few years ago um, when I was first moving out of my parents' house and looking for an apartment in Wilmington. I sort of wasn't sure what area I'd be looking in, that kind of thing. And so at one point I went to a house share where I think there were five different roommates or I would have been the fifth roommate. And so, you know, the the girl who sort of managed the roommate situation because her parents owned the house was sort of walking me through and I was meeting some of the roommates who happened to be home at the time. And um, 
there were several bikes scattered throughout the living room, downstairs, et cetera, of the house. And she's like, oh, there's this girl, Laura, and she has all these bikes and they're always <laughs> everywhere. And uh, you, you get used to it. And I said, does that happen to be Laura Wilbur? And she's like, what? Yes. So um, Wilmington is a very small place. Yes, it is. And I like that a lot about it, actually. That um, it's got like the resources of a city, but like that small town feel where you just like know everybody. Literally, I was walking to your house with Leah, who was going to another board meeting um, of a new little organization that just formed. And there's like, uh, you know, Carl, the news journal reporter that we know. I know Carl. He's Carl a biker, also of course, yes. you know Carl. Yes. He rides by and then like, Matt Harris with the city planning department. Mm-hmm. He rides by. And, I have met him uh, as well. I literally just saw three people on the walk that is like a half mile walk from my house. Yeah, to maybe not even. I feel like it's very, very close. Um, yeah, so Matt Harris, I he lives on the other side of Concord Bike. Am I right? Yes. He has little kids. Mm-hmm. They may be medium-sized kids now. No, they're pretty small. Still pretty little. Yeah. Um, so I met him a few years ago because I did a guided ride for Bike to Work Day. And I yeah. believe he was leading it. So um, I know, obviously, that's it's sort of coordinated by City of Wilmington during National Bike to Work Week and that whole thing. Um, but it typically lines up with Delaware's Grand Prix, which is a huge mm-hmm. bicycle race held in Wilmington. Wilmington's Grand Prix, I guess. Um, so just as a biking enthusiast and a Delaware enthusiast, can you speak a little more to sort of those events? Because they are coming up. Yeah. Yeah, they... Uh... They are. They're going to be May 17th through 19th, I believe. Um, So it's a weekend-long festival of cycling, if you will. Um, And and I've seen you compete. Yes. So Friday night is the Monkey Hill Time Trial. It's just a 5K sprint, essentially. Um, But the finish line is up Monkey Hill up the cobblestones. And And from an events perspective, because we all know... I know all the good places to go. Um, a lot of people come and they bring lawn chairs and things, and there's typically like trucks that will sell beer, a ton of food trucks that are selling food, and people have cowbells and yes. sort of like noisemakers. Mm-hmm. And so as you watch people come and ride up the hill, which is sort of the end, the end point and the climax, literally, of the ride, um, everybody's cheering, and I think it's a pretty supportive and fun environment. It's super fun. And, it's super fun to compete. It's super and fun And the to playground is right there, so you can bring your kids, and they can play on the playground while you are, you know, enjoying the bike race. Yeah, yeah. So it's a great time. It's Wilmington, so you'll definitely run into people you know. Um, and then Saturday is what's called the Criterium Race. It is, um, and I should know the exact term, but it's a... Uh, it's part of a nationwide circuit that is um, like an official race you can do to. So with with bike racing, there's these different categories. There's like category five, which is super amateur, all the way up to category one, which is very pro. Um, and you have to win certain official races that are within this race circuit around the country in order to move up through the categories. And um, so the Wilmington Grand Prix is part of that circuit. And so we get really uh, top-notch racers and competitors joining every year and coming to the city for that race. Um, and it's a lot of fun. They close down streets downtown. It's They have, like, uh, moon bounces and things for the kids, all kinds of different activities and, um, you know, food vendors and that sort of thing. And 
the the Criterium racers do um, like one mile laps around the downtown, and uh, the races vary in length depending, but they're around forty miles. So it's a lot of laps that they're going around. <laughs> and this is the one where so unlike the time trial where you go one at a time and you're racing the clock, this is where everybody's in a big pack. And you're racing together. So you get to watch the drama of the breakaways and then the so group the catching so, the breakaway. Yeah, you and... guys, this is the tour of Delaware. <laughs> yes. So it's serious business. It is. It's a good time. And Urban Bike Project runs the kids race, which is usually around noon. It's like a break between the kind of more amateur race categories in the morning and the more professional races in the afternoon. And I, I'm going to guess it's not 40 miles. No, <laughs> it's a little maybe five block long sprint. Okay. Okay. Um, but it's a lot of fun. We bring a bunch of the kids that participate in our programs up, and Hicks Anderson Community Center brings kids over, and um, you know it's kind of open to whatever kids really want to do it, though. And um, it's it's a good time for them. They get to race. They get to stand up on the podium, the same podium that the pros get to stand on, and they get medals. And, and you, I believe the year I saw you in Monkey Hill, I think you got second place in your time trial. I did. Although I will say that the, the women's amateur category is usually like a field of five, so hey, I did have to be hey, some people place. to get hey. there. But <laughs> hey, last year in the in Delaware Indoor Triathlon. We got second place of two teams, but we still got second place. <laughs> yeah, right. So you know, medal, right? take credit for where you're at. <laughs> and if only two teams showed up, then you really did beat everyone else. I mean, you know, you got to beat all the people it. who didn't show up. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That is um, how most of my days at the gym go. I'm really only winning because I'm there. So um, with that, we talked a little bit about sort of some of the events coming up, like the Grand Prix and the Monkey Hill Race, which is part of that. And Bike to Work Day, which usually helps to kick off that weekend. Wilmington kind of likes to roll that into one. So it usually happens on that Friday, which it sounds like is May 17th. Um, and a lot of the work that you guys do, and I know you guys have summer camps coming up. So where can people find out more? Urbanbikeproject.org. And nice then and easy. you guys are on social. I think it's just Urban Bike Project on yeah. everything. Yep. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. So, so. that is awesome. Um, so we'll just wrap it up with sort of what we have going on and maybe if you have any exciting either urban bike project events coming up or just stuff you're up to. Do I have anything exciting that, no, we're going to the busy season for urban bike project. So that's what you've got coming up. (laughs) My life is going to be urban bike project. So that's awesome. So if you're interested in helping Laura to sort of slow down and smell the roses, you can volunteer. You can help by donating bikes, um, donations, uh, just monetary donations are helpful, all of that through the website. So Dee, what do you have coming up? We mentioned this on the last podcast, um, but we're going to go see Sutton Foster at the Grand um, in a couple weekends, or now now it's like St. Patrick's Day weekend. Um, she had to reschedule from the fall, and it has ended up being a benefit to us. It has. We couldn't go in the fall, and we can go in the spring for birthdays. Mm-hmm. It sounds like there's also going to be a birthday party over at the Delaware Museum of Natural History. Yeah, so this is something that I don't think I'll be attending, but... Um, a few months ago at this point, maybe, um, I noticed that the Delaware Museum of Natural History has been posting about their museum cat, which I just sort of thought was fascinating. Um, I feel like a children's book, a children's book is, is coming on. Yeah. So, um, there's a, the, I believe it's the groundskeeper, uh, he, he, he's in charge of Dude the Cat, and sometimes Dude the Cat comes to work, um, and it's Dude the Cat's birthday on March 16th. 
you know, dude, the cat shares a birthday not only with myself, but also with the intern nutmeg. Yeah. I don't know how she feels about, about sharing a birthday with a cat. So if you can't make it because you've got a lot going on, um, you can always follow Dude on Instagram. I think it's really funny when there are pictures of, like, Dude just, like, sprawled out in front of, um, like, the... I mean, it's a natural history museum, so you have all of these, like, animals posed as if they're in the wild, and um, you just... You'll have to see it. Dude the museum cat. Yeah, so that's his Instagram account, and then, of course, the Delaware Museum of Natural History, I think, is something along the lines of uh, D-E-L... N or M N H something like that, but very easily searchable. Mm-hmm. And then um, I'm disappointed in you, Emily, because I didn't realize that you could participate in this. I thought it sounded kind of interesting. The Delaware Division of the Arts is hosting the annual State Employee Art Exhibition, um, and so there's artwork from um, 270 plus um, State of Delaware employees and their family members. Um, on display for free down at the Delaware State University Arts Center and Gallery in Dover. Um, it's up through March 18th. And Emily, you just mentioned casually to me that you could have participated but declined. I have been getting emails about this event for quite some time um, because I am a State of Delaware employee because I do adjunct for Dell Tech. Um, so I sort of forget that that is one way to identify myself. I do so many things that it's overwhelming to identify with all of them. Um, but it's going to be an exciting event. I think it's really awesome and it sort of opens the field up to anyone in Delaware who really is interested because pretty much anyone is related to someone who works in the state of Delaware <laughs> in some capacity. Um, which is, to be honest, something really special about living here is that we all really are so connected. So it's exciting. As Dara, I think, mentioned, it's free, open to the public through March 18th. So once, once we post this episode, you guys actually will probably still have about a week and a half to go and check that out. Yeah. Um, Laura, do you, have you thought of anything else that you'd like to, to go to or that you have on the calendar? Yeah, actually, uh, my friend Sarah just started uh, organizing this very cool event that happens the second Friday of every month, so this is coming up this Friday, and it's called Tales and Ales. It takes place at the Bike Lane Cafe, which is this kind of funky spot at the corner of 7th and Harrison Street in the Cool Spring neighborhood, and it's not actually a cafe it's just sort of like a communal neighborhood living room uh so it's byo and everyone just comes and if it's a storytelling event so if you want to tell a story you put your name in a hat if you don't you don't have to and then they just pull names and you go up and you tell your story and the only rule is it has to be six minutes or less and it has to be a true story about yourself and there's like a theme so this this month's theme is lucky in honor of St. Patrick's Day, but there's a theme every month, and it's fascinating to hear the stories that people choose to tell. Well, that is great, and Nutmeg Nutmeg has a story to tell, and it's how everyone is so lucky they get to meet her and spend time with her recording the podcast. And then I actually had one more question I wanted to ask you, and it's sort of a, a holdover from our guest last week. We the question came in sort of during recording, so we didn't we didn't see it until after. Um, but I think it applies to you as well, and that is, what is it like to live your passion? <laughs> uh, it is mostly wonderful and sometimes exhausting. It's especially exhausting when you and your spouse are both living your passion, and sometimes you need to like 
look at each other and be like, no, 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 no one can say another thing about bicycling for the rest of the night. Because you share the same passion. Maybe if you were both living like two different passions, but then you wouldn't, you wouldn't intersect as much. Yeah, too, right. So. It's like sometimes we travel and we go to cities and we just realize we spend an entire day talking about the bicycle infrastructure <laughs> of the city and we need hey, to like take a step back. You know, shared interests. Yeah. I talk to people about podcasting all the time and I don't think they appreciate it, but, but it sounds like you guys do. So at least, at least you have that. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And, you know, I do need vacations, but I always come back from them really excited to go back to work. And that's a special thing. And that is the purpose of a vacation. So with that, I think uh, we'll wrap this up. So we're so glad we could have you on and chat about biking in Delaware, your experiences, uh, myth busting a little bit, which it turns out we're generally pretty true. Uh, maybe, yeah. maybe a little bit exaggerated, but generally true. And we just appreciate you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Della Darling podcast. If you want to follow us on social media, we are at Della Darling Pod on Instagram and Twitter and the Della Darling on Facebook. <laughs>